The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So that do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and being subject one to another in the fear of Christ. All relationships following from the filling of the Spirit are uh, provided for um, in this passage, Ephesians chapter 5 and 6, by this power that God supplies. And uh, according to the Lord Jesus Christ in John 15, without Him... We can do nothing. Without his enablement, he is not interested in anything we can accomplish as it being worth anything. That's his evaluation. My efforts of the flesh to him are nothing. Let's take a moment for silent prayer. Make sure we're in fellowship. We're told regarding personal sin, whether it's word, thought, deed, omission, or commission, that if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a wonderful verse for us to claim as a promise any time we become aware of personal sin. What about those times when you're guilty of personal sin but you're not aware of it? Well, it's times like right now when you just say, okay, I'm going to take some stock, self-evaluate. Where do I stand? And start thinking about it. And then maybe you'll become aware of something that... um, you might have said that you shouldn't have or done or thought. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we pause not to reflect on ourselves, but on your grace to us. Father, it's not about us. It's about you, your glory. We are merely reflecting that glory back to you in our greatest moments. We thank you that that's our calling. That's our privilege. That's your design. And as your son prayed, so do we. Father, glorify us so that we can glorify you. Let us enter into this wonderful reciprocal fellowship where everything we have is for your glory. And it's from you in the first place. Help us know you this hour as we think about who you are and what you're doing in our lives through your spirit. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. Tonight I want to look at Ephesians chapter 5 in the study of the Christian spiritual life regarding what it looks like for the Holy Spirit to be working in us. What it looks like for God, the third person, to be working in us from our experience. And I want to give you a little bit of a disclaimer. As you read through this passage, you see, and others will see parallel passages, there's not much in here at all about how we feel. There's not much in here about how we feel. It doesn't mean that we don't feel. It means that that's not part of really the topic that we're dealing with when we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And Challenge me on that. Look in the scriptures. I mean, not right now, but watch the text. Feelings are very powerful. They're very important, apparently. But they're not the primary point of our, t- our contact with God in terms of the work of the Spirit in us. We want that sixth sense of feeling the Spirit, 
But it doesn't say that in the text. It's not the way Paul presents it. Contrary to the tendency of what seems to be the direction of American Christendom in the time in which we live, Christianity today, where we are as, as a movement, the Christian church, the, the evangelical, supposedly Bible-believing movement in America, that, that, which is the culture I know best, and which leads the, the others, it seems. Um, the idea of an argumentation that requires long focus, long periods of focus to gain full perspective on the context of what's being said so you can hold it all together at once and follow the intricacies of something like what Paul does, for example, in the book of Ephesians. This is completely contrary to the direction of popular Christianity. Popular Christianity is some sort of emotional release. And um, that's not to diminish the importance of feelings. It's just that we need to put them in their place. I believe that those things that aren't addressed in the text will line up as they need to if the things that are addressed get handled. So let's, let's get to it. We've spent a lot of time in 1 Corinthians 2 and identified what the Word of God is, how important it is for our spiritual growth, and it really it will be the difference between spirituality and carnality, maturity and immaturity, being a mature believer or a babe in Christ. And now let's see what the Holy Spirit has to say through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 about that work through the Word. I want to start, I've read the passage, I want to start and pr- propose a paradigm of Christian spirituality to you, the way this seems to work, according to Paul in Ephesians 5. First, God issues a command, Ephesians 5.18, be filled by the Spirit. Be filled by the Spirit. That is very clearly, and we've looked at it in great detail, a, a straightforward, present, passive, imperative command. It's a strange thing to say, be filled meaning you're responsible for something you don't do. You're responsible for a work. It's a command, but it's passive in terms of your, your engagement of the action. You don't fill yourself with the Spirit. The point is that somehow God wants to do this, and you need to get out of the way. It's a passive imperative in Greek. And I love it, and it's present, and I, <clears throat> I've interacted with some grammarians <clears throat> on this. And there's a, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a divided field on how this present tense works. It's either iterative or supposed to be done a lot, be filled regularly by the Spirit, or, as I think, it's a constant responsibility. It's called a gnomic present, which means you're always responsible or always under this claim. Again, I think this is what Jesus is getting at when he says, without me, you can do nothing. It's the work of the Holy Spirit operationally in the moment-by-moment Christian life. It's unique, it's new, it never existed before Pentecost. The Holy Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus Christ had not yet been glorified according to John chapter 7. And this giving of the Holy Spirit is why so much of the New Testament talks about these spiritual matters. It's the blessing that the Lord Jesus Christ has given to his body, the church. So we have a command to be filled by the Spirit. And secondly, we obey the command with an attitude of humility and an act of faith. An active, I'm trusting in God, who he is, and all that is required for me to take his command as something binding on me. He's got to be God. I have to be his. It has to be applicable in the sense that he's my father and I need to obey him. There's an act of faith involved when we go for obedience with God. That's what James 2, in part, is talking about. 
It's not talking about, do you have eternal life? That's what everyone wants to do. They want to jam everything together. It's talking about, are you operationally trusting in God in the moment? An active faith. But that's not all we need in terms of, of, of attitude. I think to bow up against infinitely sovereign God and say, no, I'm going to have it my way. I think that's just sin. I think that's arrogance. Don't you agree? The alternative, what I'm saying to humility and saying, God, you have your way. You're God, I'm not. The alternative is gross arrogance. It's absurd. It's insanity. You know where I sit. It's insanity. And so I think the only shot you and I have at any, any relationship or fellowship with God is to get rid of the arrogance. I think it's a sin that defiles us and it kicks us into all kinds of other sin patterns. And that alternative to arrogance is humility. I think it has to be a constant watchword for us. Not my will, but your will be done. And so what I think this looks like is first you remove all the obstacles, the sin which so easily entangles us, okay? You get rid of the obstacles, and that's what 1 John 1, 9, for example, is talking about. For believers who have become unclean through personal sin, they need to become clean through confession of sin and the washing of the Lord Jesus in 1 John 1, 7. So you remove all the obstacles, Second, you focus on the word. Focus on the word. What does he mean by be filled by the spirit? He's talking about knowing the will of God and he's talking about what the Holy Spirit uses. It's the word of God. The parallel passage that the Holy Spirit has inspired for our understanding on this is Colossians chapter three, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Without the word of God, which we saw in 1 Corinthians two is the whole key to spirituality. Without the word of God, the Holy Spirit is not filling us. We might feel something, as we say down, as they say down south, we're spirit-filled. But that's not what Paul's talking about. And so it's got to be focused on the Word of God. This introduces other commands. Other commands. Besides be filled by the Spirit. Like love one another as I've loved you. So choose to obey the commands you find in the Word while depending on the Spirit of God for the ability to do so. And this is, the, this is the whole thing. This is Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for God is the one working in you both to want and to do what pleases him. So God is working in you both to want and to do. And so when you choose, God, you told me to love, but I don't want to love. I don't like that that person did. And I don't want to love him. I don't want to love her. But they said this, right? Well, Okay, those are your feelings. It's good. Tell the truth about your feelings. You're having trouble. You've hurt, you're hurt. But the Bible says, and the Lord Jesus' command, and the Holy Spirit is requiring that we love one another as Christ has loved us. That's self-sacrificial. Get me out of it. But I've been hurt. You're not about, it's not about you. Get you, clear the decks, clear all the obstacles to obedience, and say, okay, God, it's not my will, your will be done. And that is hard, and that is sanctification. But you choose to obey the commands you find in the Word while depending on the Spirit of God for the ability, the power, the capability to do so. We're told in Romans chapter 5 that the love of Christ has been shed abroad in our hearts. I believe this is a reference to the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is love. I think this is the miracle of your spiritual growth. You can love that which you have no business loving. You can love with a virtue that you don't have in and of yourself. It's from God. It's the love of God 
through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're choosing to embrace and to do. It's an actual choice to do something. And then God the Holy Spirit produces the results in us as the fruit of the Spirit. See, there's a lot of, there, there's, there's an impossible and untangleable mesh between you and the work of the Spirit of God. And the way we know that is the Spirit inspired the apostle to write the commands, and then you're responsible to obey the commands and the power of the Spirit that he inspired. And you can't disconnect it. And you can't oversimplify and say, well, you're saying that man is now responsible for stuff that only God is responsible for. No, God's word says we have to choose to do what God said to do. But we can't do it in ourselves. He's got to do it through us. So we're availing ourselves to God having his way. That's being filled by the Spirit. It's not me, it's him, and yet I choose to do it. And for that, there is an evaluation in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So we can list the works that the believer experiences in chapter 5, verses uh, 18, 19, 20, 21. In verses 19 through 21, you have attitude, content, speech, and action. All these things are in view. The attitude that we have, the content of our thought, the things that we say as a consequence from what's in the heart comes out and what we say, and the actions that we take, for example, in Thanksgiving. So in uh, verse 19... We have how we communicate with one another is a direct result of this filling ministry of the Spirit. Second, our communication to the Lord in verse 19b, how we talk to the Lord. And in this case, it's actually singing to him in verse 19b. Thirdly, our communication of gratitude to God the Father in verse 20. It's a result of the filling of the Holy Spirit. And fourth, of course, our interaction with one another in verse 21 of chapter 5, but all the way through to chapter 6, verse 9. The rest of chapter 5 and then the first half of chapter 6 are about the results of the filling of the Spirit in terms of how we interact with one another. And it goes through all the, the relationships of institutional responsibility. It's beautiful. We've got general statement in verses 19, 20, 21. And then all the relationships, wives to your husbands, husbands love your wives, fathers and children, children and their parents and the Lord, and then slaves and masters, or today in our parlance, management and labor. It really is. It's not chattel slavery. It's Roman slavery. It's a totally uh, American, attempting to make American social justice warrior hay out of, out of Roman slavery is a mistake. Let's just call it management and labor. The people that own the property, the people that work the factory that the people own. That's the, that's the arrangement. <clears throat> it's more oppressive than management and labor, but it's far less likely uh, oppressive than, than the chattel slavery that was experienced uh, in the Americas. Okay, our intersection, our interaction with one another is all on display in how we submit to the Lord and the fear of Christ, and then how we put ourselves out for one another in the various relationships. These are all governed by that command of verse 18, be filled by the Spirit, grammatically. It all flows from the command to be filled by the Spirit. So the, the, the big application of the Apostle Paul throughout the end of Ephesians is governed by the spiritual life, by this paradigm of real Christian spirituality. All right, let's look at the passage. In verse 18, you have the command, do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled by the Spirit. And I've covered the grammar in great detail. I believe it's, uh, it's uh, lesson five 
on Christian spirituality where we look at this in some detail. Um, Your Bible might say with the Spirit. I believe that is a mistranslation because it's not taking into account the function of the N plus dative prepositional phrase. But I believe it's best translated by the Spirit. One one grammarian says, one Bible-believing grammatical scholar says, it's probably by means of the Spirit and the one doing the filling is the Lord because of of chapter 4. The Lord Jesus fills all in all. And at that point, we're parsing Trinitarian functions, and I'm not really worried about it. I think we're in the same camp. But the point is that the Holy Spirit isn't the content that fills you. Nobody working in Greek, okay, shouldn't say it that strongly. Nobody that I like to read on the way Greek works says that the Holy Spirit is the content that fills you. That, you know, you just pour it up, and I'm just spirit, Holy Spirit. Why would we think that? Well, because um, we're looking for how to connect our lives to what these things say. And what I'm proposing, what I think Paul is saying is rather abstract. It's abstract. It's not as concrete as we want. We want to feel something. I can feel it. But you can't feel like loving someone when they're hurting you. And yet you can find that you're responsible to love them while they hurt you. And if you're going to wait around until you feel like obeying, you're going to just disobey. Right? If I wait around until I feel like obeying God and his straightforward commands like love one another as I've loved you, then I'm not going to actually obey him because now I'm in charge. My feelings determine when obedience happens. That's not how we live. That's not how we train our children. That's not how righteousness works. Whoever's in charge has the right to say what the person under that authority gets to do. And that's what authority means is the right to make the decision. So then the person under the authority, like me under God, I now have to choose yes or no to what the boss said. And uh, wait a minute till I feel like it. I'm... Maybe come back tomorrow, Lord. I just don't feel like it today. Maybe that's where your prayer starts. Your little honesty time with God. Help me. Help me. I don't feel like it. It's okay. Just make sure that's not how the prayer ends. Because you need to end with not my will, but your will be done. Because we're going to be Christians. We're going to follow our Savior. And so we're going to obey the commands of Scripture and find that we have power available to us to accomplish things that we never would have ever imagined because God is good to us. In verse 19, be filled with the Spirit, be filled by the Spirit, and then you have this result participle. With the result is my translation, that you speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The content of our conversation is a result by God's design, it is to be a result of the filling of the Holy Spirit. The content of our conversation. We have parallel passages that tell you what it won't sound like. It won't be mean and wild. If you have an outburst of anger, if you have an outburst of anger, that's not the Holy Spirit. According to other parallel passages, Galatians 5. That's not the fruit of the Spirit, that's the deeds of the flesh long-suffering, the ability to control yourself and extend to your fuse and not give in to anger, that's the work of the Spirit. But Jesus cleansed the temple. We're not talking about Jesus. We're talking about sinful us and the fruit of the Spirit as 
revealed in the scriptures. And that does address the Lord Jesus Christ. But you have to acknowledge the difference. The, the temple cleansing is the one thing angry people bring up and say, well, that's, we can get angry now. Jesus did. Be angry yet sin not. Most people that try to use that should never use that. <laughs> they should never think, well, is my anger uh, sinful or not? They probably, it's sinful. And, and I think, just to close down this excursus on anger, my, my opinion of Ephesians 4 and be angry yet, yet sin not, is that if your anger has anything to do with you, with you, I shouldn't be treated that way or this steps on me somehow or my property or my rights or anything about you, you're probably in the anger and sin, yes, as opposed to anger and sin, not. That's my watchword, and I would just challenge you to, to avoid anger, period. <clears throat> I would challenge me to avoid anger, period. With the result that you speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, this is the first thing in Paul's thinking as he's writing this that'll be the result of the Spirit's work. And so that's what's happening as Paul writes Scripture, He's ex- exhibiting this for us in an authoritative, like, scriptural way, but it's the work of the Spirit through him as he writes to the Ephesians. The second result, he states in, in 15, 19b, is with the result that you sing, make melody in your heart to the Lord. I, I hope you understand all the relationships have now been covered. One another and the Lord. I mean, in a sense, we've got God and man how we relate to all persons. So right away, the hardest thing in life is the relationships. Test me on that. The hardest thing in life is the relationships. Now there are losses that we can have that aren't necessarily relational, but most of the pain we get from those types of losses will be complications from relationships that arise due to those other things. I'm just saying the hardest thing is the people. We're porous we're connected, we're easily hurt. And so people, it's, I think most, if not all the testing revolves around people. But see, the relationships are all summarized. We have how we communicate with one another is the product of the Spirit's using the Word in us. And we have how we communicate to the Lord, the product of the Holy Spirit using the Word in us. And we're singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. I call it the soundtrack of your heart. Because he says singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's an interlinear translation. Now, when Paul says Lord, kurios, and he doesn't give you any other modifiers, he almost always is referring to the second person of the Trinity. But in truth, kurios can be any person of the Trinity as we watch the New Testament from at least Paul, uh, and I haven't really run down how others use kurios, Lord, but this is, uh, means deity, at least. And when Paul is calling Jesus Lord, he's saying not just the Son of Man, he's saying God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so um, people have often said, well, um, you know, the next verse we're going to hear, we give thanks to the Father in the name of the Son. Well, here you're singing to the Lord. And so it could well be he means the, the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, we, there's been a lot of, a lot of, of uh, dogma about how we pray with a Trinitarian prayer. To the Father, in the name of the Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit is how I pray. That's how I pray. But did you know one of the great arguments through church history for the deity of Christ has been the prayers offered by the church to him? 
That's one of the one of the historical arguments for Jesus being divine is that he's a recipient of our prayers. And that's an ancient practice within church history. So this is one of those verses that makes you pause and say, well, let's don't be legalistic and dogmatic about something the Bible doesn't actually say. Here's my concern about prayers to Jesus, the second person. Where is Jesus Christ right now? He is not on his throne. Did you know he's not on his throne? How do I know that? The Lord of God told me. It's Revelation 3. Those who overcome, will be, I, will, I will permit them to sit on my throne even as I've been permitted to sit on my Father's throne with him. They'll sit with me on my throne just as I am sitting on my Father's throne with him. That's a different throne. He's at the right hand of the Father, in other words. The heavenly throne room has a throne with a, a central person whose throne room it is, and at the right hand of that person at the place of honor is the Son of Man the glorified Christ. That's the, that's the bit that, now this is very Trinitarian. And so when you go to God the Son in prayer, I want you to make sure you understand you're talking to somebody uh, who's at the right hand of, of glory in someone else's throne room. It's the Father who is the Ancient of Days in Daniel chapter seven. And so uh, again, I won't be legalistic about it, but I would generally encourage you to pray to the Father in the name of the Son, and always in the Spirit, in the power of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> because of verse 20, with the result that you give thanks at all times for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father. The great thing about the Greek language is it does have some specificity that's pretty straightforward. See, we're giving thanks when? Always. One word in Greek, pantata, is translated here, at all times. Because we don't have a word. Well, we could say always. We could say always. But at all times, and then for pantos, or for ponton, for all. And we have to supply a noun for all things. Give thanks at all times for all things. And that's exactly what we have in 1 Thessalonians 5. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Lord in context is referring to Jesus Christ, just like in verse 19, to God the Father. So um, we're singing to the Lord. We're giving thanks always for all things to the Father. This is the constant prayer of gratitude that characterizes the filling of the Spirit. It's the result of the filling of the Spirit. I do not claim it to be an inevitable result of... uh, of a set of mechanical things that you do. It's an inevitable responsibility that the Holy Spirit enables you to accomplish. And I'll tell you why I know it's a responsibility because elsewhere these things are commanded. Rejoice always, I say, again I say rejoice. Well, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. And I'll show you how the command works together with the responsibility um, and, the, and the results here uh, in first, or Second Peter chapter one, uh, hopefully next time. Ephesians 5.20, though, is there's this constant prayer of gratitude that as a result of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Again, I want to make very clear everyone understands. The main verb grammatically in Greek that Paul wrote, be filled, plerao, in verse 18 is governing all these sentences, all these results, because they're all participles that are modifying that main verb, and they're explaining the result of that main verb. 
So be filled with the Spirit with the result that you speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. With the result that you sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. With the result that you give thanks to the Father. So there's no doing this in the, in the way Paul is describing the protocol without the work of the Spirit in you. And so again, back to the Word and the Holy Spirit's use of the Word as we meditate on it day and night. In verse 21 with the result that you submit one to another in the fear of Christ. The result is that you submit one to another in the fear of Christ. And um, some people will put that into the husband and wife paragraph. One manuscript, um, editorialized manuscript tradition does that. The Byzantine manuscript that I uh, am reading here does that. Uh, But I don't. I think this is the last... Sentence, the last result in, in, the, in the line of five participles, this is the last one, and it, the word is su- being subject or submitting, okay? It has to do with, uh, with what you do, do, with duly constituted authority. That word submission is a bad word in some circles. I didn't know that. That's a new, new one on, on me. Submission means that someone is stronger than you, and they're forcing your will, and you have to tap out. <laughs> That's the new definition of submission in the pop culture. A, a, peer, a submission is a, is a noun now. A submission is when someone pins you in an MMA fight and you have to tap out or they break your wrist because they've got you in an arm bar and they're going to break your wrist and they've, they've won the fight and you have to acknowledge it. It's not like the old wrestling where they, they tap three times. You've got to tap out or get knocked out. So you quit. And when you quit, you've been subordinated. You've submitted. Well, that's not what this word means, thankfully. Um, And arrogance alone is going to make us retract from this word. When somebody is in a duly constituted position of authority, they have the right to say. They have the right to make the decision. That's what I contend it means. Beginning with sovereignty of God and his creative work where he tells us what to do, he has the right to do that by virtue of being the creator, by virtue of being the sovereign. So when you say, I'm not the one in charge, but he is, and he said, go and name the animals, I will then say, yes, Lord, and I will go and name the animals. And by doing so, I will be submitting to his authority. Now, if I say, ah, ah, Adam, I'm going stupid rhinoceros hummingbird that's not submission that's arrogance now adam didn't do that apparently because he didn't sin until the chapter three and that's a day six event when he's naming the animals so i don't think he messed up uh, in arrogance there but i'm just giving you an illustration that we can be outwardly obedient and inwardly rebellious what we have to do is inside out. The heart submits. That's God. He's God. He loves me. More importantly, he's God and I'm not. And he gets to say, so I'm going to submit to that. And all will be right in the universe when I, the creature, say to the creator, you're the creator. You're the boss. And I submit to him. And that submission, I think, extends to be filled by the Spirit. <gasps> I think it does. And here's why. Because the Holy Spirit is God. God, the Holy Spirit. He's not the wind that bends the trees over, but... His work is like that. You can't see him. You see his effects is what Jesus teaches. 
the Holy Spirit is very God of very God. And when He is working in you, He's God and you're not. And there has to be this recognition that um, whatever He wants to do with me is really the best possible scenario. That's what I want. Well, anyway, you submit one to another. Not only will I submit to God, I'm now going to submit to you in the fear of Christ. How in the world am I going to submit myself to somebody that I'm not under their authority? Well, one answer is, this doesn't talk about authority. There are no more authority structures. I have one verse, Galatians 3.28. That's it. There's no more male, female, Jew, Greek, slave, master. It's all one in Christ. No more authority structures. Well, that hippie idea is not really the Bible. It's not what Paul thinks. And we've got all his punitive letters to back us up on that. Uh, Paul is very clear on apostolic authority. And um, that's not really how this works. It's not really to be considered mutual submission where there is no hierarchical authority structures. And I'll prove it to you because wives to your husbands, husbands love your wives, children obey your parents, parents don't embitter your children, don't make them angry, okay? The way this submission works is that you, in the fear of the Lord, deal with everyone as you ought. You put yourself out of the equation, you put the love of God into the picture of your responsibility toward the other person. And that makes you self-sacrificial, especially in a higher position of authority. Authority is not leveled out by Christ. Authority is properly administered in Christ. For some people, any expression or any use of authority will be considered an abuse because we just don't want to submit. We don't like someone to be in charge. But that's not God's way. There is, for example, overseers. Overseers have the responsibility. Guess what? Here it is. You ready? Oversight. I'll say it in Greek. Episcopos. I'll say it in Latin. Supervision. I like supervision. It sounds like a comic book character. Supervision. But, but the point is that we have a responsibility to the Lord that is authoritative. And everything has to be done decently and in order. And so forth. And, um, and, and that's, a, that's a sacred calling and trust that the Lord has given us. And so when we, when we recognize, okay, mutual submission is about putting myself last and not getting my own, but taking care of that which has been entrusted to me, that's what the rest of the context is going to demand. Now, when you look at it this way, you don't insist on your rights, you insist on the other person's best. You insist on the other person's best. When you're in a position of authority, that other person's best, very likely, if they're under that authority, is to submit to it. And so making that easy for them, helping them through that, coming alongside someone and loving them with a gentle word, the, the truth and love, that's the idea when you want to talk about submitting one to another in the fear of Christ. But that's my translation. The reason you have to watch out for Ephesians 5.21, this verse, is because it's one of the key proof texts for egalitarianism, for feminist theology. For the idea, again, Galatians 3.28 is the only verse we've read. And it, and it taken out of context means that there's no distinctions between husbands and wives now in terms of authority. And so since we all have equal value, that means we have equal authority or identical authority or identical function. And that's just, you know, the destruction of satanic feminism, which has encroached in the church through a lot of wolves that have snuck in and attacked the, the flock of the Lord Jesus. Um, This is not about mutual submission that destroys authority structures. This is about, in the fear of Christ, I put myself 
out of the equation in terms of my wants and preferences, and I serve in whatever capacity I'm given um, self-sacrificially. That is how you're submitting one to another. Um, In the Army, not the Navy, but in the Army, um, we have the privilege of eating food pretty much anywhere we find ourselves. Uh, We can walk around anywhere that we operate in, and somebody can drive up with a Jeep or a a Humvee and drop a meal uh, for us to eat. In the Navy, you can't do that. You have to eat on the boat in the mess. That's why it's a mess. And, uh, and it's a very dangerous thing, the Navy. The Navy is a very... All these men, with all that testosterone, on a boat for extended periods of time. It's unthinkable. The Army guys have no idea about this. We're like, I have to be in the same vehicle with five guys for a whole field problem. And you guys are like, I've got to be in the same vehicle with 120 guys for six months. We're like, oh! <gasps> That must make you insane. And, and all the sailors in the Navy and the submarine forces are like, no, everybody else is crazy. But anyway, um, um, in the Army, not the Navy, we have the privilege of demonstrating something about this. The people in charge eat last. In the Navy, the, the officers eat in officer's mess, right? You've got to segregate that. It's a population control. Can't have mutiny on the bounty, all that stuff. But in the Army, we're not worried about that stuff because we have things called first sergeants. And they uh, bring order and wrath, and it's awesome. They, they really, if you have good ones, they structure, just think gunny highway. They really structure everything. So um, that's, that's Marines, but same idea. So, so when, uh, when, when it's time to eat, okay, everybody's been working. Officers, when I saw in operations, officers worked harder than anybody because we, don't, we have less sleep. We're doing all these many different tasks. Nobody sees it because it's planning and, and paperwork, and, and it's awful, and um, much better to get a rifle, go kick doors in. But anyway, um, the officers have been working like dogs. Nobody sees it, but, they're, but they come out of the plans van, and they come in, let everything air out a little bit. And then there's, there's Joe, Private Joe Snuffy. We affectionately call him G.I. Joe. That, that's the soldier. He is in line for the food. And he's in line and he's excited because he's been eating meals ready to eat for three or four weeks. And all of a sudden, somehow, by God's providence, there is hot chow. There is a hot dinner. Now, it's still a preserved food that's off the shelf, but it's been heated up and served in larger quantities. And, um, and it's exciting. It's, it's hot chow. We're going to have hot chow. And the officers always go to the back of the line. And the lieutenants will go to the back and then the colonels will stumble out and they go behind the lieutenants. And if the colonel's already in line and the lieutenant comes up, the colonel gets out of line and goes behind. And the, and the lieutenant's like, hey, sir. No. He's like, get, get over here. Because there's this idea that I don't need to eat if one of these younger or lower ranking people that I'm here to serve and provide for if they don't eat. It's my job to provide the logistics and support. So if they don't get food, I certainly don't get food. So we make sure of that by going last. And you've got to make sure there's not, nobody getting seconds before the colonel gets his plate and all that. But anyway, the point is um, you can see this in various authority structures when you have a servant leadership model, when you understand. Now, that's a buzzword, but it does come right out of the Bible that the person with the authority is the servant of all. He's the one who's putting on the towel and washing the disciples' feet, even though he's the highest-ranking person in the room. 
Well, all this sets us up to understand how the filling of the Spirit addresses marriage. Wives, submit to your husbands in everything in the Lord. Um, Be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. uh, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. Verse 21 doesn't cancel headship. It establishes it, and it tells you how to be a good head. You submit in the Lord to the person's needs and, uh, and not necessarily their, their desires, their needs. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wife ought to be subject to, ev- to, to their husbands in everything. Husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And so all these are results. They're all follow on from that submit to one another in the fear of Christ. Children to the parents. Let's read it. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. It's 6.1. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, here's how you submit, okay? You put yourself last. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And then slaves and masters and how they're supposed to properly interact. Again, we would put that into a... See, we don't have slavery in the United States today. We don't, have, we don't have any form of slavery that is recognized. If there is any, there, there's human trafficking that's going on, but it's a big, it's a big uh, crime. And uh, people go to prison or worse for that. And so um, to put this into our culture, think about the boss. The person that's working for the boss, oh, they don't care about me. I'm just the guy sweeping the floor. And that, that, that guy over there is making all this money, and I'm working harder sweeping the floor. And, well... Why are you not the guy in the corner office? Why are you the guy sweeping the floor? How'd that happen? Well, he's been here for 25 years. And you just got started last week? Yeah. Okay, well, give it 25 years. Do the best you can. Work your way up. Be the best floor sweeper. And then when they say, hey, you're graduated to an ink toner inserter. Be the best ink toner. My goodness, this ink is never out. They're always ordered. It's back ordered. It's, it's awesome. There's always back filled with ink. I can't believe it. Let's see if this guy can make anything. And you, and you grow up and you, you rise up through the ranks. You kind of pull a Joseph and bubble up. Well, anyway, um, there's a lot. I, I want to preach a whole series on slaves and masters in this passage because it gets misunderstood and misapplied. But we're talking about the filling of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit. And I want to leave you tonight with parallel passages to read through, to work through, uh, that will we'll conclude our study of Christian spirituality by looking at some of these passages. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through chapter 4, verse 4, is your most direct parallel. It's your most direct. In fact, I'll turn there right, real quick. At the end of Ephesians is Philippians. At the end of Philippians is Colossians. And if I go to chapter 3 and I look at verse 12, some of the most beloved uh, words that I've ever heard for me in terms of commands of Scripture in Colossians 3, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on, there's your command, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, this is very exciting. All those things were just commanded of us. Put on a heart of the fruit of the Spirit, of kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. The same five words, four of them are repeated in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit bears that fruit in us, yet you put it on here. So you've got to choose to obey the command, but the Holy Spirit makes it happen. 
You choose to obey the command, but the Holy Spirit makes it happen. Bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. See, there's the command to love. But I thought the fruit of the Spirit is love. Doesn't the Holy Spirit produce this fruit in us? Yes, and part of how He does it is He commands it. And then part of how he does it is I choose it and God's working in me both to want and to do of his pleasure. And then as I'm trusting him and I'm seeking to obey him from being saturated with what he said, I find myself loving, loving Christian love like the Lord Jesus commanded self-sacrificially as he's loved us. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ, now here's your like almost exact parallel statement, verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The same results of being filled by the Spirit are stated as results of letting the word of Christ richly dwell within you. I'm telling you, the Word of God is what the Holy Spirit fills you with. The thinking of God, that pneumaticos that we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit teaches spiritual words of spiritual persons. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all, there's your command, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. And then wives to your husbands, be subject to your husbands. Husbands love your wives. It's the same results. It's abbreviated compared to the Ephesians passage. That, that one will keep you up all night if you, if you line it out. Get, your, get you a big piece of paper, you know, get some, like some roll paper. Get a roll of paper out on one side and a roll on the other and write Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 and start seeing if you can line up the commands. Write it out. Take some time. Settle in. Get you a cup of coffee going and, and, or cocoa by the fire, a little Bible time by the fire, and see if you can't see how these things line up. It's very clear when he starts with wives, be subject to your husbands, verse 18. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives. It's the same kind of thing that we had the question in Ephesians 5. Why do wives have to submit, but husbands have to love? Why is it's very uniform? He does the same thing in Colossians 3. And I, I hope you know my answer to that is not that, it's not because wives are not supposed to love their husbands. That's not the reason. It's because there's a dynamic relationship that's being established where we're different. We have different roles. And um, my summary statement is, if you love her, men, as you've been commanded to do, then she has two witnesses, two examples in her life. The Lord Jesus has, he's loved her, and then you've loved her the same way where she is now able to respond and replicate that to you and to all. And what that does by your leadership, by leading with self-sacrificial love, makes a household that not only does she love you and the kids, Titus 2, like we're told in Titus 2, to love your husbands and your children, but then everyone, the household, is Christian, and it's oriented with that Christian dynamic love. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26, the same kind of thing that they've traded the spiritual life that Paul has taught them for going back to the old covenant. And they've done it. The ultimate practice of the old covenant was circumcision. Paul says in this chapter earlier, you, if you get circumcised, you've got to keep the whole law. You see? And, and, if, and he also says if you're circumcised, Christ will be of no avail to you. He also tells them you're severed from Christ. And you've fallen from grace. And he's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to those who have the Holy Spirit, according to Galatians 3, verses 1 through 5. And so 
uh, when you get to this passage, this is kind of the ultimate kind of the ultimate finale of this very challenging series of arguments driving the Galatians back to the freedom that they have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, the, the summary statement in verse 23 is against such things, the fruit of the Spirit, there is no law. Now the reason we pull up Galatians 5 at this point is we've seen the Holy Spirit produces these things. They're, they're, these are the results of the filling of the Spirit, but we're responsible to choose them in Colossians 3. Well, in Galatians 5, he brings them forth as the fruit of the Spirit. And so what I want to say is, as, a, as a, a, someone staying connected to the vine, as a branch staying connected to the vine and abiding in him and growing, you have to make choices or the fruit is not going to be expressed. And that's 2 Peter chapter 1. You have the same list of virtues in 2 Peter 1 that overlaps with uh, Galatians chapter 5. The same results. Tonight we've been talking about what is the effect of the Holy Spirit on your spiritual life. What will be your experience if you walk by the Spirit, if you have the filling of the Spirit, if you really are um, spiritual. These are the effects. And the summary statement I want to close with is, these are awesome, awesome supernatural works of God in you, called the fruit of the Spirit. They are the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are only supernaturally rendered. It will not be from the energy of the flesh. Nothing in what we've said has said anything about how we feel. You can't force this. You can't urge God to make it happen by your fervency. It doesn't say really want it and it'll really be there like the TV preachers. It says this is God's deal. This is his protocol. This is his design. These are your responsibilities. The responsibilities are only capable in the power that God gives you. So the first command is be filled by the Spirit. But we have to choose. We have to choose. I, uh, and, uh, to be perfectly transparent with you, struggle with this in earlier years, not as a pastor, but as a young man growing up with the Word. I struggled with the nature of passivity in Christian practice. What the Holy Spirit, who is very God of very God, if the omnipotent Spirit of God is going to do it, then He's going to do it. I kind of did the William Carey thing. You know, the mission board said, well, if the Lord wants to evangelize the Indians, He'll do it without you, Mr. Carey. He can, he can do it however He wants. Well, He ended up using William Carey to do it. So you have, if the Lord's going to do the thing, and make, He's going to make me love. He's going to make me kind he's going to make me all these things and i'll just wait till he does and until then no love no kindness and i didn't understand that these things are not just stated as the results of growth they're stated as commands and this is how the holy spirit uses them i have to choose to obey what i've been commanded but god is working in me both to want and to do of his good pleasure and my ongoing prayer for you is thus dear heavenly father transform us Change the way we think about you, about your works, about our responsibilities, and about our privileges. Help us embrace all that you've commanded us and love your commands. Love the grace that enables us to fulfill them. Help us live out this awesome charter to love as you've commanded. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.